Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. Great. Well, it is so good to be here. I, uh, do you know when you enter a church and you just feel the presence of the Lord? I Thank you. Uh, your worship team, God bless you. You know, worship, it, it tills the soil in my heart to worship and to hear the word of God, right, states? And I'm so glad. I, I, a lot of my friends from Calvary Chapel, big churches down in the states, I say, who's the second pastor you hire? thinking it's the administrative guy, the youth guy, I don't know. They say, somebody who can teach us to worship. It's a gift. Somebody who can stand up here and lead us, not perform. We don't need that. We need someone to lead us into the presence of God. I mean, he's here. He sure is. Listen, thank you for all these gifts. I get teary-eyed watching kids come up and put these here. When we started this, I remember calling Franklin Graham, uh, the head of Samaritan's Purse, and now the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I said, Franklin, we need to do this program. He said, what program? I said, well, we, there's a group in England that are doing this, but it's so small. I said, we need to bring it to North America, and we pack shoeboxes for kids, and we give it to them to remind them that no matter how bad the situation is, there's a God in heaven that loves them. He said, I think that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. We're about relief and development. I said, let's try it. 220 million shoeboxes later. And this is why it's so important that you pray over these. I'd rather have less shoeboxes and more prayer than more shoeboxes and no prayer. Because every time you pray, you don't know who's going to get that box. In 1993, the first shoebox that I gave out was in Bosnia, uh, sorry, in Croatia. The war was going on in Yugoslavia, the former Yugoslavia. The Serbs were attacking. And I went into a psychiatric hospital, and there was a little boy about 10 years old. This is the first shoebox I gave out. I give it to him. He opens it up. Now, you've heard of Beanie Babies. Ty had given us a million Beanie Babies and said, put them in the shoeboxes. So we put them in the shoeboxes. And he opened, this little boy in the hospital, opened the shoebox and took out the beanie baby, and he smiled. Well, I thought, that's a pretty normal reaction for a little boy who gets a beanie baby, and he looks at it and smiles. Well, I looked in the corner, and a doctor and nurse are in the corner, and they started crying. They called me over and said, we have to tell you this little boy's story. He said, six months ago, the Serbs came into his village marched his parents out in front of him, shot them and decapitated them. He hasn't smiled in six months. And I thought, you know, this is a powerful little tool. We give it in the name of Jesus. And know this about us, and we get a lot of criticism for it, that we are going to preach Jesus. <laughs> We're going to tell boys and girls and their parents and use every opportunity we can to love them. Now, we're not just showing up and giving out shoeboxes. We have a big program. At any given time, Samaritan's Purse is probably funding programs in 100 different countries. In Honduras, after the second hurricane hit there in the past few weeks, Nicaragua, we're there. In northern uh, Ethiopia, what's going on in Tigay right now, we're there. 
we are going to go to these places and we are going to care for people in the name of Jesus. And we're not going to compromise that. We're not going to be just humanity. And that's to show up and do good. Because there's something even greater than doing good. And that's telling people, this life is this life. It's gone. It's over. The life to come is eternal. And we want boys and girls and their parents to be in heaven. So thank you so much. Every time you see these boxes up here or you pack one, will you please pray that the child that gets it will be touched by it. I could tell you stories all morning, and I'm so tempted to do it, you know, of the miracles that I've seen. Now, I'm a Christian Missionary Alliance person. We're not overly charismatic. Our church is a stone's throw away from here. Um, it, it, you know, we, we don't really get too about things. I'm so glad to be in a church where you actually interact with the person who's speaking. All these churches down in southern Texas, all the way up to uh, Louisiana that I was working with, helping them. You know, I had a friend come down. When you're in some of those black southern churches, it's a field day. Now, my friend is, I'm not a preacher either, but my friend is certainly not a preacher. And he was preaching his help that morning. And a wonderful little black lady in the front row, as he's stumbling along, says, Lord Jesus, help that man. God, help him. It was the shortest sermon. My friend wrapped it up and sat down. So. I, I, the passage that I'm going to speak on this morning, Romans. There it is. Look at that. It just popped up there. This is a beautiful passage in the book of Romans, chapter 15. Now, I'm going to say it. You can read it on the screen, but I'm just going to talk about what's happening here. It's a great thing, and I love to preach on it because it so sums up what we're trying to do in Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. A lot of times over it, so they did that evangelistic association because if you say it real fast, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, you stumble over it. So they just say Billy Graham Association. No, it's evangelistic. It's going to be evangelistic. What we're trying to do is we're trying to preach the word of Jesus. We're trying to preach Christ as the Savior, and we're trying to live for him. And in this passage that's behind me, and you can look at it, Paul's saying, what I will, I wanted to start with this. He says, listen, I don't boast about anything. But what I, what I will boast about is that the Gentiles have come to faith through Christ. Now, I just want to stop there. Dr. Graham, yes, I did have a chance to meet Dr. Graham a number of times, was probably the most humble man I know. And he once said this to us, you know, Dr. Graham had that way of pulling in a group of vice presidents in both organizations and waking us up to the truth. He get pretty boastful in Samaritan's Purse. Oh, yeah, you work in a lot of countries? So do we. We have two DC-8s that fly all over the world. We're in most countries before the other eight organizations even show up. We stopped... Ebola in Liberia, oh, we like to brag. Shame on us. Shame on us. We don't boast about anything. Dr. Graham said this. He said, if people don't notice humility in your life, you are not a Christian. It ought to ooze out of us. Are we confident in Jesus? Yes, we are. Are, are we Proud of what Jesus is. Oh, yes, we are. But we are humble before the world. And people ought to sense that in us. He didn't, Paul didn't boast about anything, but he proclaimed, he was excited that the Gentiles have come to faith two ways, he says. First of all, he says, by my message. You read it. It's by, our, by my message. And if I die right now, let me get this one point out first. It's by our message that people are saved. 
Luke chapter 5, Jesus is on the beach. Those of you that feel called before COVID to go to Hawaii or the Bahamas to preach the gospel, and you're going on the beach to do it, Jesus was on the beach preaching the gospel in Luke chapter 5. The people were listening to the word of God. So much so, they were so excited, they crowded him in there. He had to get in a boat to finish his sermon. Listen, I say this. There is something unique and different and beautiful and powerful about the word of God, isn't there? And you know what? Sometimes we in our churches think we have to compete with Hollywood. Well, I want to say this. Hollywood can't compete with us because this word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It can go into my life and it can change my life. And I don't want our churches to be someplace where we speech, have some feel-good sermon, we cheer people up, it's, it's do better, it's a motivational speech. Listen, this is where we preach the word of God, and it's truth. Oh, I, I love it. You know, when, when uh, Peter and John, in the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 4, you know, it's, 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 they go out there, they're healing people, and it says that uh, people took note of them. These were unschooled men, but they'd been with Jesus. Oh, I think, gosh. Schooled with Jesus. You know, the miracles that can come through our life. They were unschooled, uneducated men, but they took note. They were courageous. They'd been with Jesus. And I say, listen, we, we are not ashamed of the gospel, are we? It is the power of God unto salvation. When we preach this word, it's not like reading Time magazine. It's not like reading the Calgary Herald, the Calgary Sun. This is the anointed word of God. This is God himself. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. This word, my friends, hearts and lives. Will you please remember that when you meet your neighbors, you know, Dave Rutherford, I don't know if you remember who Dave Rutherford was, a great journalist here in the city, had a radio show. Uh, you know, Dave traveled with me all over the world. I did his wedding when he got married, performed his ceremony. Dave is such a dear friend. I remember he one day, he said, Sean, I love 90% of you. Well, why not 100%? He said, well, it's that 10% where you keep saying Jesus is the answer. I just can't get my head around that. Well, Jesus is the answer. It's by our message. Please don't forget that. Then he goes on and he says, and by the way I lived. Oh, here it is. I always like to say this. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association is known for their proclamation of the gospel. Did you ever, but preach, I'm sure many of you did. You know, there might be better speakers, but few is anointed. And if you listen to him, he would make sense sometimes because he's, and the word of God says, and God's word says, and God's word says. Sometimes I'd be going, okay, just drop the God's word. How he changes your life. And the word of God says, he kept coming back to the word of God. That is what we want to do in the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Samaritan's Purse. We want to live the word. We want to take the word into some places where it just doesn't go. And I love it at the end of this passage. Paul says, and I make it my aim to take the gospel where it is. And listen, folks, we've got to have men and women. And maybe some of you are sitting here this morning or listening online, watching it. I tell you, we need you to stand up and say, you tell me where the gospel isn't. I'm going there. We want to finish this task the way we and bring back our Savior, don't we? Okay, so we're going to do it by the way we live. I, I can, you know, our first convert in Somalia... 
Do you remember Mogadishu, Black Hawk Down? Some of you saw the movie. Listen, our house was two blocks from Black Hawk Down. Uh, half of our tards were with AK-47s and M16s under their bed because we didn't even know if our own Somali guards who were half the time stoned on this stuff called cot would then turn on us. It was a frightening time. But our first convert, we would do medical clinics and we'd take our team out and we'd be looking after all these people. I remember the first convert, he worked for us. And this, uh, this mother, she's probably 15 years old with a little baby, came in to our clinic. And she's rushing in, and one of the American Marine soldiers guarding us, he's watching this happen, and one of our small staff from Minnesota, and she runs in with this little baby in great distress. She runs up to one of our doctors from Minnesota. The doctor from Minnesota takes that baby. She works on that baby, trying to save the baby's life, and the baby died. Watching is our Somali guy. Watching is this American Marine. The American Marine walks up to that little baby's life. He'd had enough. He just shook her and said, if you'd only gotten here in time, they could have saved your baby's life. Meanwhile, our Somali staff guys watching that doctor from Minnesota who was cradling that little baby, dead little baby, tears streaming down her face. And he saw the love of that doctor and came to our team leader that night and said, Jim, if your God can love me like that doctor loved that little baby, I want to know your God. Congressman Doi, one of the Japanese senators, after Ishinomaki was wiped out the whole northern part of Japan, do you remember the tsunami that hit? The, the nuclear reactor burst, all that mess, the hurricane or the uh, earthquake and the, the resulting tsunami. The North Korea, by the way, I've been to North Korea. I would say there are more Christians in North Korea than there are in that northern part of Japan, which leads me to say this. Every time that you hear of a disaster happening, don't wring your hands in despair, but cry out to God and say, God, make your name known. Because in that area of northern Japan, I'll tell you, there are churches that were never there before. Congressman Doi, I sat down with him before I came back after I saw the horrible damage. I said, Congressman Doy, what do you want me to tell the churches back in Canada when I get there? Shin this. Thought about it for a minute, and then he said this. Sean, we've had Shintoism and Buddhism for 1,500 years. We've only had Christianity 150 years. And what I see happening in the way that you care for people up here, Christianity is the only that can bring our people hope. Listen, I I pass that on to you. (laughs) We have the only religion. I don't even want to call it a religion. We have the only faith. You know, these little shoe boxes, I've watched people all over the world. I've been to 150 plus countries. I've been to every war, disaster, name one. I've been there. Chechnya, Rwanda, Somalia, Sudan. Go on and on and on. I've seen them all. I tell you, people can live without food. They can live without water. They can live without shelter. They can live live without medicine for a period of time. But the minute hope is gone, they perish. And that's what these little boxes do. They bring hope. When Congressman Doy says that, I tell you, it is the only religion. It's the only faith that can bring people hope. We had a Kurdish dentist. Back, you know, when, when I surgical control in northern Iraq, Mosul, which is ancient Nineveh, we had the only surgical hospital outside of, the, uh, of there. We had a dentist come up and says, I want to work for you. Our Sammy Dagger, one of our staff, our senior staff from Lebanon, said to him, well, sure, you can. Well, I'm a Muslim. 
He said, well, you, you, if you want to work for us, we can set you up and you can help the people here. He said, I'm going to dagger. Well, that night, his father called Sammy Dagger, our guy over there, and said, Sammy, you can't let my son work for you. He says, well, why not? He says, because they'll kill him if he's working for a Christian organization. Sammy says, okay, I'll go back to him the next day. He offered Sammy $25,000 not to hire him. Sammy went to him the next day and said, you know, maybe you shouldn't work for us. It's dangerous. The Muslims in this area, they'll kill you. He looked at Sammy and said this, they're wicked. Sammy, for three years now, we've watched ISIS. They're wicked. They're evil. They, they kill, they maim, they torture, they rape. For three years, we've watched it. For the last year, we've watched Christian organizations come. He said, they love us. They care for us. They cry with us. They celebrate with us. He said, Sammy, you pick which God you want to follow, but I'm picking God. Mm. By the way we live, friends. By our message and by the way we live. And then get this. He says, through this, the Holy Spirit did signs and wonders. Oh, I love saying that here because you get it in some ways that other churches don't. They say, well, he did signs and wonders. No, he does when signs and wonders. What was when Stephen was, was chosen, it said he was a man full of the Spirit. And he did signs and wonders. Paul and Barnabas in Iconium in, in chapter 14 of the book of Acts, it says they preached the message of grace. Isn't that beautiful, by the way? The message of God's grace. Sometimes, you know, the, the, the spirit, the, 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 the Savior, the Father, uh, flesh, he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, we're nailing truth sometimes, but I'll tell you what, when we nail grace, people wake up. And I love it how it says in Acts 14 that about Paul and Barnabas' ministry, it was a message of grace that they preached accompanied with signs and wonders. And I say, why aren't we seeing them? I, John Stott, who was a great theologian, passed away maybe 10 years ago. John Stott said this about the church, we desperately need a theology of miracles. To know when they occur, why they occur, how they occur. But we need a theology of miracles. This much I know for sure, friends. That when God's word is preached and God's word is lived, the Holy Spirit can do signs and wonders. Not just in Africa, just in Asia, or any other place, but right here in the west part of Calgary. I hope that you believe that. Sometimes we don't see it. Because I don't think we're living the full presentation of the gospel. We're either so heavily on preaching it and not living it, or we're so heavy. Listen, it's easy to be a humanitarian. We're so, you know, we live it, but we don't preach it. When we do both, the Holy Spirit does miracles. I worked in a Khmer Rouge refugee camp. I cut my teeth in a war zone on the Cambodian border. If you know anything about the Khmer Rouge, Pol Pot, You'll know that he was the butcher of Cambodia. Three million of his countrymen died under his reign. I worked in a Khmer Rouge camp. We had access to the leadership English of Khmer Rouge. We had a young man in our camp named Tan. 
Tan, his English was better than mine. He'd correct my English. I'm going, Tan, how did you learn English? He said, I was educated in Europe. I didn't put two and two together. But I would have Bible study with Tan every week and tell Tan about Jesus, and we'd talk about some pretty deep things. What is the Trinity? How can God exist in the Godhead, in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit at the same time? How does that happen? We'd talk about those things. Every time I'd have Bible study with him, we'd talk about deep things. I said, Tan, do you want to receive Jesus? He'd say, no. Okay. One morning, I go to the camp. It's 40,000 people, bamboo buildings, bamboo hospital. We had all the medical care, uh, responsible for all the medical care. Tan comes up, or not Tan, one of our doctors comes up and says, hey, I got to tell you what happened to Tan. That's the hospital. I said, well, tell me. She said, I can't. And she runs away. But I see Tan walking across the hospital compound. He's got a big grin on his face. I said, something's happened. Ton comes up to me and says, Sean, I gave my life to Jesus. I said, tell me about it. He said, last night I had a dream. And oh, God, please give us back dreams. Yeah. Not just overseas. You know what? I hardly know of one Iraqi or Iranian or Syrian that has come to faith that hasn't had a dream from God. I want dreams. I want to see these things happen. Ton says, well, I had a dream. I said, well, tell me about it. He said, I was standing, you know, the Mekong River over there is huge in the rainy season. Uh, my father was an Olympic swimmer. I was a lifeguard when I was 14. I looked, oh, man, I don't know I could swim across that thing. It's got islands in it. Just in white. I was standing on the bank of the Great River. And the, on the island across from me was a man dressed in white. And he said, the man told me, come across. He said, I called out to the man. There's no bridge. How do I get there? He said, that man showed up on my side of the riverbank. He built a bridge, and he took me by the hand, and he led me to where he lived. That man was Jesus. I said, Ton, we've had great, deep theological discussions. On the basis of that dream, you've come to Christ? He said, yes, that. And when I told my wife about it that morning, she had had the exact same dream. Ton was Pol Pot's nephew. There were four leaders of the Khmer Rouge. Yang Sari, Pan, Pol Pot, and Damolk. We used to, as a team, I remember one of the, our sweet little Indian nurses from India, she crying out every night, oh, Jesus, will you please save these men? And I used to sit there and think, how? <laughs> Tan got saved, took Bibles, and gave them to each one of those men. I don't, I'm not here to tell you that they found Jesus, but they got a Bible. They got a Bible. Miracles. Madam Mai was a Buddhist monk in our camp. <laughs> Going blind, prayed to all the yeah the Khmer Rouge killed all the Christians for sure, but they killed most of the Muslim, or the, most of the Buddhists as well. But they let her live because she was going blind and she was elderly and she'd walk through the camp wouldn't harm anybody. She came by our bamboo lab one day and she called out to our Filipino lab technician, Luchi, how big is your God? Luchi said he's very big. Well, if he's big enough to heal my eyes, I'll serve him the rest of my life. Lucci says, you come back at five. We all had to be out of the camp at five o'clock. She said, come back to the, to the, the hospital at five o'clock. We're going to pray for you. Lucci gets me and a bunch of others and says, Madam Mai's going blind. Well, we all know that. Well, we're going to pray for her and God's going to heal her eyes. And I went, oh boy. Because <laughs> you know what? Every time someone comes up and says, hey, pastor, I want you to pray. Or, Would you pray for this or pray for that? And I'm always thinking, why don't you get elder so-and-so? Because what if he doesn't heal? That little bit goes through your mind. What if he doesn't heal? Because sometimes God doesn't, because his grace is sufficient. But sometimes he does. 
Madam Mai comes back at 5 o'clock, and listen, word had gotten around the camp. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Cambodians Cambodians hanging around the hospital, going to watch what these crazy foreigners are going to do. We laid hands on Madam Mai, and we prayed for her healing. She didn't get her eyesight back right away. May I quickly add this? Sometimes the healing process of God is not as instantaneous as much as it's instrumental, incremental. Remember that. Why? So that you and I will keep turning to him. So he might just heal a little bit. We come back to him again and we say, God, heal. He might heal just a little bit more. Madam Mai got her sight back in three months. I want to tell you this. Before Madam Mai was taken out of our camp, she came to me and said, you know, the Khmer Rouge are going to take me out because I've been talking about Jesus. I said, I know. I said, are you afraid? She said, why would I be afraid? If they're going to take me to another camp where no one's witnessing for Jesus, I will go. She had little... She had little, you know, scribblers that you have in elementary school. She had written down the name of every person she had shared Jesus with in our camp. There were over 3,000 names before the Khmer Rouge took her out. Miracles, signs and wonders, they happen. My brother Jack, he's a missionary in in Guinea in West Africa for 12 years. Uh, One of these... African pastor said to him in Conakry, Jack, let's drive up to this Muslim village. It's a three days drive. Listen, every mission field needs a chiropractor or a massage therapist. Jack said the roads, the whole of the three days going up there. They finally get up to this little Muslim village in northern Guinea and they walk in and the imam and the whole village comes out to greet them because they're holy men. And they say, oh, it's good to have you here. No one's ever come up before. My brother Jack says, oh, we're so glad to be here. And the imam looks at him and says, Oh, my, my daughter, she's crippled. Would you pray for her? And he brings out his 12-year-old little crippled daughter and asks Jack and the African pastor, pray for her. My brother Jack says, never had I been so convinced that God was going to do a miracle. He said, Christianity today, <laughs> faith today, every magazine is going to write this up. It's going to be on TV shows. Churches will be encouraged all over the world. I said, bring her up here. They brought her up. The whole village gathers around. My brother takes this little African girl, puts, him, puts her on his knee, and prays. Jack said, I prayed the best prayer of healing I could ever pray. So convinced that God was going to heal her. I stood her up, said amen, and she dropped into the dust. He said, I burst into tears. I wept. I've never wept so hard in my life. The African pastor consoled Jack. The people, you know, looked at him. They left. And said, the African pastor said to my brother Jack, Jack, you don't never know what God is going to do. A year later, they went back to that village. There's no more mosque. There was a church. The imam, former imam, comes out to greet my brother. Jack's looking, going, where's the, why do you have a church? He said, turns around and he calls. And out from the hut walks his daughter. My brother looked at him and said, look at we man, God didn't heal her. He said, that wasn't the point. We had never seen a holy man cry over one of our children. So we started reading the literature that you left us. Then we began to pray, and she was healed. Mm. I'm going to wrap it up. When we, uh, a friend of mine, 
one of my alliance pastor friends here. He says, you know, I used to preach two-thirds content and one-third application. He said, I've changed it for the church now. He says, I preach one-third content, two-thirds. How do we apply this? So let me be careful to add this. What does this mean for you and me? Listen, when we preach Jesus, somebody, how will they hear unless a preacher is sent to them? How will they believe upon someone that they don't know? Somebody has to come and verbally tell them about Jesus Christ. And you may think that that's crazy. You may think, oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know about this knocking on the door or going up to the hospital and saying, can I tell you about Jesus? Well, listen, someone needs to. Please be that kind of person to know that this is the power of God unto salvation, that when you talk about the word of God, that when you share the word of God, it is a powerful thing that can change lives. And really, it doesn't make sense that someone's in the hospital and they're very sick or they just lost a baby and you walk over and say, can I tell you about Jesus? But Jesus knows and the spirit empowers that conversation when you have it. Don't be afraid to say to someone, someone on the bus, someone that you meet downtown, can I tell you about, even do that anymore, but whoever you meet, don't be afraid to say to them, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And then live the gospel. Oh, my friends, this world so needs people to stand up and say, count me in. I will go. I will live Jesus. I might not be able to preach in that language, but I'm going to facilitate it so that somebody else can but I'm going to live Jesus. So the application is this. Preach Jesus, live Jesus, and then will you trust the Spirit to do the supernatural? The natural is our job. The supernatural is His job. For as much as we are responsible to do the natural, He delights in doing the supernatural. So let Him do it. Watch the Spirit. Don't be afraid to ask Him. If you come up to me this morning and say, pray for my healing, absolutely display pray. God might say no. He, he might say no. I'm going to display my grace in a beautiful... And I think more people come to faith by seeing someone who displays the grace of Jesus while they're suffering than they necessarily do if they're healed. But let's ask God for it. Let's not be worried about that. That's his responsibility, not mine. And we can ask because he's our daddy in heaven. Trust them. And then, friends, listen live, preach, trust the Holy Spirit, and be the light of the world just like these shoe boxes that you brought today. So God bless you. Thank you. Can I pray? And then uh, Lauren will come up. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you who have begun a good work in our lives, you complete it till the coming day of Christ. So in the lives of my brothers and sisters here this morning, in my life, Lord, let us see you completing that work. And as we dedicate ourselves to you, Father, we want to preach Jesus. We don't want to be ashamed of the gospel or ashamed of our Savior. We want to be bold and courageous. So give us that spirit of boldness and courage today. And then let us live Jesus. Let us trust you for the miracles that you'll bring because we do both. That we might see the Lamb's book of life added to. So, Father, thank you for this morning. Blow away the things that are not from you, but let's stick and grow fruit in our lives, the convictions that your Holy Spirit brings, that we might become more like Jesus for his glory and for his honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Excellent. Thank you, Sean. Wasn't that great? To hear it. Really, really, really good. Thank you.
Thank you on behalf of Steve. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.